This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. Good morning, I'm John Trout. It's Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. Here's what's coming up on America in the Morning. The embattled president of Harvard has resigned after disastrous congressional testimony and claims of plagiarism. I'm John Stolness. Donald Trump has appealed a main ruling keeping him off the state's presidential primary ballot. Sagar Magani, Washington. More allegations against Democratic Senator Bob Menendez. Compel an agency to act in someone's favor. I'm Clayton Neville. The U.S. national debt has hit a record $34 trillion. Norman Hall, Washington. The year started off on a down note for stocks. The Santa Claus rallies in jeopardy as investors take profits. I'm Jessica Ettinger. House Republican resigns, balance of power teeters. New research shows that thousands of women stocked up on abortion pills just in case they needed them. I'm Shelley Adler. All ahead on America in the Morning. Harvard President Claudine Gay has resigned amid allegations she committed plagiarism and following congressional testimony in which she refused to outright say anti-Semitic protests were against school policy. More on the story from our John Stolness. As protests were growing on college campuses across the country following Israel's war on Hamas in Gaza, Gay was one of three university professors called to testify last month before a House committee on their school's response to violent rhetoric against Jews on campus. Republican Elise Stefanik repeatedly asked Gay to clarify her university's stance on calls by some students for a genocide of Israeli Jews. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. In her letter of resignation, Gay said it was in the best interests of Harvard for her to resign, but defended her record, saying she was subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. Stefanik reacted to Gay's resignation on Fox News. This is long overdue. It should not have taken the Harvard Corporation Board this long to demand her resignation. Gay becomes the second of those three university presidents who testified to resign. Last month, Penn University President Liz McGill stepped down. After the hearing, conservatives also unearthed what appeared to be several instances of Gay lifting portions of her 1997 doctoral dissertation without properly attributing the information she was using. The Harvard Corporation, the school's governing board, found two additional similar instances. Pat Gold, a resident who lives near the school, said she was disappointed in the resignation. People kind of misconstrued what she was saying. Um, and I think they probably bullied her out, really. While Harvard student Yoel Zimmerman says it's the right move. And I especially hope that the Jewish students on campus can feel more safe now with uh, Alan Garber as interim president and with the the next president of Harvard. Alan Garber, the provost and chief academic officer, will serve as interim president. Gay was the school's first black president. She held the job for just a little over six months, the shortest tenure in the school's history. I'm John Stolness. Donald Trump has appealed a main ruling keeping him off the state's presidential primary ballot and is likely to also challenge a similar ruling made by Colorado's highest court. As Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports, the former president wants the decisions to be reversed, but as Maine Secretary of State Sheena Bellows told TV station WGME, she believes there's a precedent in the case. I'm mindful that no secretary of state has ever 
deprived a candidate of ballot access under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But no presidential candidate has ever engaged in an insurrection under Section 3. Maine's top elections official barred the ex-president last week over his role in the Capitol riot. It was not a close call on the question of whether January 6, 2021 was an insurrection. The events of January 6, 2021 were unprecedented and tragic. They were an attack not only upon the Capitol, government officials, but an attack on the rule of law. Democrat Shenna Bellows became the first Secretary of State in history to cite the rarely used constitutional clause barring those who engaged in insurrection from holding office. The weight of the evidence made clear that Mr. Trump was aware of the tinder laid by his multi-month efforts to delegitimize the 2020 election results. And he then chose to light a match. Trump's appeal sends the case to Maine's Superior Court. He's also expected to appeal a similar ruling from Colorado's highest court directly to the U.S. Supreme Court, which has never ruled on the insurrection clause. It was put in place after the Civil War to keep Confederates from returning to their former government positions. They want to try and get a guilty plea from the Supreme Court of the United States, which I can't imagine because you have presidential immunity. But strange things happen, but they want to get that because that's the only way they're going to win the election. It would be the first time the nation's highest court could rule on part of the 14th Amendment, barring those who engaged in insurrection from office. Advocates of disqualifying Trump say he did it to himself by inciting the Capitol riot. For now, he remains on the ballot in both states as the appeals play out. Sagar Magani, Washington. Embroiled senator faces new corruption charges when America in the Morning continues after these messages. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back here with America in the Morning this Wednesday. We have some colder air funneling into some of the northern tier states. Here's AccuWeather.com meteorologist Brian Thompson. After such a warm December across much of the nation, especially the northern part of the U.S., uh, we're starting to see some colder air drift southward from the northern plains today through the Great Lakes. High temperatures mostly in the 20s and 30s, and there will be some snow showers around. Uh, they will be moving across parts of the Great Lakes uh, from Michigan 
Uh, even pushing toward Cleveland toward the end of the day, and we'll even see some snow showers around Erie and Buffalo, western parts of New York through the day, and a couple of spotty snow showers across northern parts of New England as well. Outside of that, uh, still looking at a fair amount of sunshine along the I-95 corridor from Boston all the way down to D.C. High temperatures will be in the 40s today. Not bad for early January. Uh, much of the southeast, at least toward the Carolinas, uh, dry today, but you get a little farther to the south and west, you're going to run into some rain from Georgia and Alabama back to Mississippi, much of Louisiana at least in the morning hours. Things will improve this afternoon. Pretty cool, too. High temperatures only in the 40s and 50s. Mostly dry across uh, central and south Florida. It's looking dry across the plains today, really most of the Rockies, too. But out west, uh, we continue to watch a fairly broad storm system, not really producing a lot of heavy precipitation, but it will produce a pretty broad area of precipitation from western parts of Washington and Oregon all the way down through California. We'll get rain all the way down toward L.A. and San Diego as we head throughout this Wednesday and even some mountains snow extending through from the Sierra over into parts of Nevada and northern parts of Arizona. And that's the weather across America. In New Orleans today, cloudy and chilly. We'll have rain in the morning that'll taper off into the afternoon, high 53. Plenty of sunshine in Denver, high 47. That's the nation's weather. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Brian Thompson. This is America in the Morning. I'm John Trout. Listen to our program on your favorite podcast platform. Simply type in America in the Morning. Democrat Senator Bob Menendez is facing new allegations of corruption related to a second nation in the Middle East. Correspondent Clayton Neville reports. Senator Bob Menendez has pleaded not guilty to charges filed against him last year. The senator and his wife accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams. In exchange for Senator Menendez using his power and influence to protect and to enrich those businessmen and to benefit the government of Egypt. The new indictment says Menendez's work for Qatari leaders led to more gifts of cash and gold, luxury watches, even tickets to car races. When prosecutors raided Menendez's home in the Egypt case, investigators found a Mercedes convertible, half a million bucks, and 13 gold bars. There are things that Senator Menendez says he can do for his constituents and things that he says he cannot do for his constituents. He put it all on his Senate website. So, for instance... It says he cannot compel an agency to act in someone's favor. It says he cannot influence matters involving a private business. It says he cannot get involved in criminal matters or cases, period. More controversy for the senator who resigned last year from the Senate Foreign Relations Committee amid the allegations. I'm Clayton Neville. It's an important topic of the 2024 election, and it just reached a milestone. Correspondent Norman Hall reports the U.S. national debt has hit a record $34 trillion. The Treasury Department reports the national debt eclipsed the $34 trillion mark several years sooner than pre-pandemic projections. The Congressional Budget Office's January 2020 projections had gross federal debt eclipsing $34 trillion in fiscal year 2029. But the debt grew faster than expected because of a multi-year pandemic starting in 2020 that shut down much of the U.S. economy. The government borrowed heavily under then-President Donald Trump and during the Biden administration to stabilize the economy and support a recovery. But the rebound came with a surge of inflation that pushed up interest rates and made it more expensive for the government to service its debts. Norman Hall, Washington. Tesla deliveries up, mortgage rates down. More in business headlines next when America in the Morning continues after these messages.
Welcome back. This is America in the Morning. If you took a flight in 2023 while the majority were on time, some airlines had a record they may not be proud of. The annual airline report from Sirium found Air Canada had the worst on-time performance among large North American carriers. Delta Airlines led the list for North America's punctuality with over 1.6 million flights arriving on the dot 85% of the time. Good enough to be fourth best in the world. Two American airports ranked in the top five worldwide, with Minneapolis-St. Paul ranked number one in the world for flights on time. 84% departures on schedule, fifth on the worldwide list, Salt Lake City. With a check of more in Wednesday Business, here's CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Wall Street opens this morning after a mixed first day of 2024 trading for stocks yesterday. The Nasdaq plunged 245 points. It had its worst day since October as investors took a lot of profits. Some of the biggest winners for 2023, like NVIDIA and Apple, were those that pulled back yesterday. We could be in danger of breaking a nine-week winning streak. Extremely rare to have nine straight weeks up in the S&P 500. We had it in January of 2004. Wouldn't be any surprise, I think, to, to sort of give back a little bit in terms of what was up the most last year. CNBC's Mike Santoli, who says with yesterday's drop, the Santa Claus rally is now in jeopardy. It's typically the period of the last five days of one year and the first two of the next year. So we'll know after the close today. One more day to go. Uh, the last time we had a negative period, last five days of one year, first two of the other, was 2015-16. Apple shares were downgraded by Barclays, the fourth firm to do that. Apple shares fell 3% yesterday. Tesla delivered 485,000 vehicles in its fourth quarter, bringing the full year total to a little more than 1.8 million. Deliveries, this is the one that's getting the most attention. That's the key number here because if they hit 475,000, which they did, full year deliveries would exceed the company's guidance of 1.8 million vehicles. The question now is, at what cost in terms of margins? How much did margins have to suffer as they dealt with pricing issues both in China and in the U.S.? We will get the financial results from Tesla three weeks from now. CNBC's Phil LeBeau. How's the real estate business looking for this year, Jessica? You know, mortgage rates are around 6.5% this morning for a 30-year fixed loan. That's right where they were at the start of last year. But, of course, last year they went up before coming back down, and a lot of people were shut out of buying a home in 23. 2023 may have actually been the least affordable year for housing in history. CNBC's Diana Olick. Record high and rising home prices combined with rising mortgage rates, which don't usually go together, made that happen. The hope is that lower mortgage rates will kickstart the market in the new year, but there are still some big headwinds for housing that don't seem to be going away just yet. That's supply and prices. And supply is terrible. The supply of available existing homes to buy in the U.S. down 38% from before the pandemic. And you know the supply and demand rule. When supply is down, prices go up. On today's watch list, we get the minutes of the last Fed meeting. Investors will comb through those for hints on what might happen with interest rates. We also get the latest on job openings and labor turnover with the JOLTS report. New car sales numbers will be out today for some automakers for December. Thank you. There's CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. When we return on America in the Morning, among the stories we're covering, women hoarding abortion pills after these messages.
Welcome back. You're with America in the Morning. The already scant majority held by House Republicans will become razor thin in about two weeks as Ohio Congressman Bill Johnson announced he's leaving two months earlier than planned. Johnson will become president of Youngstown State University after he resigns from Congress January 21st. With that resignation and three vacancies, Republicans will be able to afford to lose just two votes on any party line measure. That cushion now just three votes following the resignation of Kevin McCarthy and expulsion of George Santos. America in the Morning continues. New research shows that thousands of women stocked up on abortion pills just in case they needed them. Correspondent Shelley Adler reports. A research letter published in JAMA Internal Medicine looked at requests for the two pills needed for abortions for women that weren't pregnant. They sought them through Aid Access. That's a European online telemedicine service that prescribes the two pills for future and immediate use. They received over 48,000 requests from across the U.S. from September 2021 through April 2023. Researchers also found that requests were highest right Right after the news leaked in May of 2022 that the Supreme Court would overturn Roe v. Wade, but before the formal announcement in June. I'm Shelley Adler. America in the Morning for Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024 is produced by Jeff McKay. Senior producer Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. I'm John Trout. Coming up this half hour. The Iowa caucuses around the corner and campaigning ramps back up. I'm Clayton Neville. Police look for a motive behind a deadly crash by an upstate New York man driving an SUV full of gas canisters. Julie Walker, New York. The top Hamas official, Saleh Aruri, has been killed in an explosion. I'm Karen Chamas. The former Kentucky clerk who denied gay couples marriage licenses will have to pay up. I'm Pamela Fur. Crypto prices spike on rumors of SEC approval. I'm Chuck Palm. Ian Ziering explains the street brawl he was involved in on New Year's Eve. I'm Kevin Carr. Warren Buffett tops a list of charity donors in 2023. I'm Ed Donahue. Back after these messages. Welcome back. This is America in the Morning. A storm system yesterday that was affecting Texas is on the move eastward. With details on the national forecast, here's AccuWeather.com meteorologist Brian Thompson. A storm system making its way through the northern Gulf of Mexico is going to continue to bring rain across parts of the south. Today, yesterday, was focused more across Texas. Today, it'll be along the central Gulf Coast from Louisiana, and a lot of that will be this morning over into Mississippi, Alabama, eventually reaching Georgia by this afternoon. Now, where it is raining today across the southeast, it's going to be pretty chilly. High temperatures in a lot of areas, only in the 40s with that storm system moving on through. It will be mainly dry across much of the Florida Peninsula. Uh, we are expecting uh, high temperatures today to be in the... Back into the 60s across North Florida and then from Orlando down to Miami back into the 70s for today. Farther north, uh, mostly dry through the Carolinas, through the Mid-Atlantic, even a lot of the northeast. Uh, across parts of the interior, especially upstate New York, there will be some snow showers around. Some of those snow showers extending back into Michigan. Uh, it will be a seasonably chilly day throughout the Great Lakes. Temperatures mostly in the 30s. Upper Midwest looks uh, seasonably chilly as well, but dry. In fact, it will be dry from the Ohio Valley back through the upper Midwest all the way through the plains from North Dakota to Texas. It looks 
looks dry on this Wednesday. We will have uh, mostly dry weather back through the Rockies as well, but we're continuing to see some stormy weather out west, uh, and it's uh, kind of a broad area of storminess that's going to continue to produce some rain across western parts of uh, Washington and Oregon today, even some showers of rain and snow east of the Cascades. And farther south into California, just a couple of spotty showers in northern California, but uh, across southern California, we'll see a little more in the way of rain today from L.A. down to San Diego, and even in some of the deserts, there will be some spotty showers throughout the day today. That's the nation's weather. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Brian Thompson. This is America in the Morning. I'm John Trout. We're now 11 months away from the 2024 election and presidential campaigning is ramping up ahead of the Iowa caucuses scheduled for later this month and an important first step for candidates who want to lead the GOP against President Biden. Correspondent Clayton Neville reports. The Iowa caucuses will officially open the process for Republicans to pick their presidential nominee on January 15th. Former president and Republican frontrunner Donald Trump has stressed the importance of the caucus to Iowa voters, despite his big lead in the polls. We're way, way, way up. You have to do me if I just go out and vote. You know, terrible things have happened. Oh, he's got it made. Well, wait till November. No, you got to get out caucus, get out and vote. Because we have to big, uh, we have to put big numbers up. Trump continues to take his own path to a potential presidency. He plans to skip the next GOP debate hosted by CNN in Iowa and participate in a Fox News town hall instead. Both events scheduled for January 10th. Just a couple weeks till the Iowa caucus and candidate Vivek Ramaswamy hitting the campaign trail hard. He's confident in his chances. Because a lot of the supporters of this campaign are first-time caucus goers, people who have not been traditionally polled. And so we're doubling down and leaning into that strategy, and I think it's going to pay dividends not only on January 15th at the Iowa caucus, but hopefully when I'm the nominee to win the general election in a landslide. Ramaswamy spoke with Fox News and tried to separate himself from the other candidates when it comes to Trump. They've been licking Donald Trump's boots for years for money and endorsements and in Chris Christie's case, lobbying him. I haven't been. Meanwhile, Nikki Haley back on the campaign trail in New Hampshire. Positioning continues as the caucus gets closer. Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis recently said that if they were elected president, they would pardon Trump of any criminal convictions related to the recent slew of allegations against him. I'm Clayton Neville. Police and the FBI are looking for a motive behind a deadly crash by a man driving an SUV full of gas canisters as a New Year's Eve concert in Rochester, New York, was ending. The latest from correspondent Julie Walker. So far, we've uncovered no evidence of an ideology and no nexus to terrorism, either international or domestic. Rochester Police Chief David Smith says... 35-year-old Michael Avery died Monday night from his injuries. He allegedly aimed his SUV full of gas canisters toward people when the collision with another car happened, causing a blaze. Avery sped up, crossed into the oncoming lane of traffic, and appears to have intentionally been driving towards the pedestrian crossing. At about the same time, a rideshare vehicle containing two passengers in the back seat was pulling out of the theater parking lot and was struck by Avery's expedition. This created the chain of events that followed. Two people in the other car died and at least nine were injured. Nothing thus far has been recovered that provides any additional insight into why this occurred. Although the motive behind the crime remains unknown, the conversations we've had with his family so far leads us to believe that Avery may have been suffering from possible undiagnosed mental health issues. 
Chief Smith says they believe Avery acted alone and there is no nexus to terrorism. At this time, we've not been able to identify that there was anyone else involved in the crime or that it was part of a larger plot. Additionally, we have not uncovered any information leading us to believe that the actions of Michael Avery on New Year's Eve were motivated by any form of political or social biases. Audio courtesy Wham TV, Julie Walker, New York. In Lebanon, a top Hamas official with ties to Iran has been killed in an explosion in a Beirut suburb, an airstrike that U.S. officials claim was carried out by Israel and sparking more concerns that the war in Gaza could become a regional conflict. A bipartisan group of American senators met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu last night to discuss the war with Hamas. As correspondent Karen Shamas reports, this comes as Israel says it will defend itself against what it calls blood-liable accusations of genocide levied at the world court by South Africa. Aruri, one of the founders of Hamas's military wing, had headed the group's presence in the West Bank. Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, had threatened to kill him, even before the Hamas-Israel war began on October the 7th. Israeli officials declined to comment. The explosion shook the Lebanese capital's southern suburbs, causing chaos in the militant Hezbollah group's stronghold. Lebanon's state-run national news agency said the blast killed several people and was carried out by an Israeli drone. The people in Palestine are all unified and united in support of Gaza and in support of ending this terrible aggression on Gaza, demanding complete and permanent and total ceasefire. Immediately. South Africa launched the case at the International Court of Justice at The Hague in the Netherlands. The African nation says the magnitude of death, destruction and humanitarian crisis in Gaza from the Israeli military campaign against Hamas meets the threshold of genocide under international law. Releasing all the hostages and eliminating Hamas so that the Gaza Strip can never again pose a threat to the people of Israel. By failing to release all the kidnapped women as it was obligated to do so and kidnapped children and by resuming rocket fire. Elon Levy, an official in the Israeli Prime Minister's office, said... The State of Israel will appear before the International Court of Justice at The Hague to dispel South Africa's absurd blood libel. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed to press ahead with the war despite growing international pressure to scale back the offensive to protect Palestinian civilians. I'm Karen Chamas. Listen to our program when you log into your favorite podcast network simply by entering America in the Morning. When we return, minister anything but kind at this fast food restaurant and what's behind the surge in cryptocurrency. That and more when America in the Morning continues after these messages. I'm John Trout. Welcome back. This is America in the Morning. A federal judge has ruled that a former Kentucky clerk who refused to issue marriage licenses to same-sex applicants must pay the legal fees of one of those couples. Details from correspondent Pamela Furr. A same-sex couple sued Rowan County clerk Kim Davis back in 2015 after she refused to issue a marriage license for them. Now, at a press conference at the time, Davis said doing so would violate God's definition of marriage and her religious beliefs as a Christian. Are we not a big enough 
a loving enough and a tolerant enough state to find a way to accommodate my deeply held religious convictions. A federal judge last week ruled Davis would have to pay the couple's legal fees, which are more than $260,000. That's in addition to the $100,000 in damages she was ordered to pay the couple in September after losing the lawsuit brought against her. Liberty Council is the law firm representing Davis. They released a statement saying this case is far from over and they plan to file a motion to reverse the jury verdict. They also said this case has the potential to overturn the landmark Supreme Court ruling in 2015 that gave same-sex couples the right to marry. I'm Pamela Furr. Police say an attack by a gunman who broke into the Colorado Supreme Court building apparently had nothing to do with a case involving former President Donald Trump. Correspondent Norman Hall has details. Police in Denver say a man leaving the scene of a car wreck shot his way into the Colorado Supreme Court building and inflicted extensive damage before being arrested by police. Authorities say the incident seems unrelated to the court's recent ruling banning Trump from Colorado's ballot. The court ruled the former president ineligible because of a constitutional provision barring from office those who engaged in insurrection. Since the ruling, the court's justices have received threats. The unidentified gunman voluntarily surrendered. I'm Norman Hall. In her first official act since being inaugurated Tuesday, Philadelphia Mayor Sherelle Parker signed an executive order declaring a citywide public safety emergency. Her order directs the police department to develop a comprehensive plan that addresses crime across the city. Philadelphia has seen widespread unlawful acts in the past four years, with car thefts up over 1,150 percent since 2019. One of those stolen cars belonged to Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon, who was carjacked at gunpoint in 2021. Philadelphia reported nearly five shootings each day and 408 murders last year alone. A congressman and a senator's son have jumped into the race for the Utah U.S. Senate seat being vacated by Mitt Romney. Lisa Dwyer reports. U.S. Representative Republican John Curtis announced his campaign after initially saying he would not run for Senate. He was the mayor of Provo, Utah for seven years and for a time was a county-level Democratic Party official. Brent Orrin Hatch has also announced his candidacy. Hatch is one of six children of the late Republican Senator Orrin Hatch. Brent Hatch is a trial lawyer and a past director of the Federalist Society, although he says he's not a professional politician. Romney announced in September that he would not seek re-election, saying younger leaders need to step in. I'm Lisa Dwyer. A man's been arrested at a McDonald's in North Carolina. As correspondent Rita Foley reports, that man, a pastor, attempted to push a cook's head into a deep fryer. A manager in training at a McDonald's in High Point, North Carolina, called her husband for help, saying that employees were disrespecting her, according to police. Witnesses told officers that when her husband arrived, he went after the cook, took him by the neck, and pushed his head toward the deep fryer, punching him several times in the face until he was pulled away, according to the police report. The victim's family took him to a hospital. Officers watched store video of the attack, they say, and arrested the husband on an assault charge. I'm Rita Foley. The SEC could approve new electronic traded fund applications to sell Bitcoin futures as soon as this week, which has sent cryptocurrency prices soaring. Here's our Chuck Palm with that story. 
The price of Bitcoin climbs to over $45,000 for the first time in 21 months. After seeing a 156% gain in 2023, Bitcoin starts the new year on the right foot, rising optimism around electronically traded funds approvals for various different trading companies that are pending approval from the SEC. Rumors have been they could expect approval by as early as this week. Ethereum has also seen modest gains throughout the day, but by the end of traditional trading, things have calmed down and Ethereum has been trading rather flat. The SEC has rejected multiple applications in the past, arguing that the cryptocurrency market is vulnerable to manipulation. And U.S. prosecutors said they do not plan to conduct a second trial against Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of the now bankrupt FTX cryptocurrency exchange. Additional allegations remain that Sam Bankman-Fried used funds from FTX to make illegal campaign contributions to both Democrats and Republicans. For more tech news, visit allthetoptech.tech. I'm Chuck Palm. With Midweek Sports, here's America in the Morning's Robert Workman. NBA on Tuesday, the Thunder bumped the Celtics 127-123 for their fifth win in a row and snapped Boston's six-game run, 36 points for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. They sharpen your blade. The highest level of basketball it comes down to the end of the game, execution, and uh, winning plays. Um, we did enough of them tonight to get a W. The Hornets' 11-game losing streak ended with a 111-104 win over the Kings in Sacramento. Terry Rozier, 14 of his game-high 34 points in their fourth-quarter comeback. Warriors whacked the Magic, 36 for Steph Curry. Sixers got Joel Embiid back and beat the Bulls, the MVP, had 31 points and his seventh career triple-double after missing the last four games with a sprained ankle. Pelicans ripped the Nets and the Grizzlies smacked the Spurs. College basketball, number one Purdue slammed Maryland 67-53. Zach Eady, 23 points and 12 rebounds. Easy wins for number four Connecticut, number five Tennessee, number eight North Carolina, and number nine Illinois. College football, Georgia junior Brock Bowers, the first two-time winner of the Mackey Award as the nation's top tight end, has declared for the NFL draft where he's expected to be a top 10 pick. Nine of the 14 NFL NFL playoff berths have been claimed. The remainder will be decided this weekend. NHL, the Oilers ran their winning streak to six with a victory over the Flyers. Hurricanes blew out the Rangers. Bruins swatted the Blue Jackets. They move ahead of New York for the league's best record. Capitals held off the Penguins. Alex Ovechkin, goal number 830. He's 64 behind Wayne Gretzky. Shutouts for the Maple Leafs and Predators. Wins for the Avalanche, Canucks, Canadians, Jets, Flames, Panthers, and Red Wings. That's Wednesday Sports. Thank you, Robert. When we return on America in the Morning, TV celebrity explains street brawl and the Oracle of Omaha takes the Grinch out of Christmas. Those stories and more after these messages. We're back. This is America in the Morning. Thanks for listening. The earliest version of Mickey Mouse is officially in the public domain, and two horror films based on him are now in the works. Entertainment correspondent Margie Zaroleta explains. Here you go, your very own castle. Gobbles? Gobbles! He's too young to die! Take me instead! <gasps> As of Monday, the 95-year-old copyright expired on Steamboat Willie, the earliest film version of both Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Hours later, a trailer was released for the horror movie Mickey's Mousetrap, directed by Jamie Bailey. It shows a man in a Mickey mask terrorizing young people at an arcade. Director Stephen Lamort writes on Instagram about a second, as-yet-untitled movie about a mischievous mouse that becomes a monstrous reality on a late-night boat ride in New York. Disney says it will protect its rights to the modern version of Mickey. Last year, a horror movie about Winnie the Pooh was released as that character entered the public domain. I'm Archie Zaroleta. 
A television star from the 90s TV show Beverly Hills 90210 is telling his side of the story following a Los Angeles street brawl last weekend. Kevin Carr reports. Sharknado star Ian Ziering has offered his side of the story after being involved in a street brawl in Los Angeles on New Year's Eve, saying he was defending himself and calling out, quote, hooliganism on our streets. The incident took place on Sunday afternoon when Ziering was stuck in traffic. A group of minibike riders were weaving around the cars and the 59-year-old actor stepped out of his Mercedes. This led to a confrontation with one of the riders that quickly escalated to physical blows heard in this video obtained by TMZ. Multiple bikers ganged up on Ziering and he managed to pull off one of the assailant's helmets before fleeing across the street. The actor quickly doubled back to the scene where he comforted his 10-year-old daughter who was in the car. Other video from TMZ shows one of the bikers smashing Ziering's windshield with a helmet. On Monday, Ziering took to Instagram to tell his side of the story. He said he exited his vehicle after being, quote, aggressively approached by the bikers to see if there was damage to his car. He said that he and his daughter were both unharmed but alarmed by the incident, and he called on city officials to have a better response to such events. On Tuesday, the LA Times confirmed there was a battery report taken by the LAPD which listed Ziering as victim. I'm Kevin Carr. Warren Buffett tops a list of charity donors in 2023. Ed Donahue reports. The Chronicle of Philanthropy's annual list of the biggest charitable donations from individuals or their foundations totals more than $3.5 billion. Eight donors are multi-billionaires. Their combined net worth is more than $305 billion. Warren Buffett gave 1.5 million shares of Berkshire Hathaway Class B stock valued at $541 million to the Susan Thompson Buffett Foundation, named for his first wife who died in 2004. It manages the family's charitable giving and primarily backs women's reproductive health. Four universities received big gifts in 2023, along with four scientific research institutes and a health care system. I'm Ed Donahue. America in the Morning for Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024 is produced by Jeff McKay, senior producer Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Should we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord, we get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.